Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, you'll be listening to PSY 342, Psychology of the Exceptional Child. I hope you listen and enjoy. This is Class 8, Session 2, and we are continuing our discussion on cerebral palsy. Um, we've looked at kind of a general term, and so now we're going to look at the etiology of cerebral palsy. Um, we mentioned that there's damage to the brain, and that is definitely true. There's three main periods where you actually will see cerebral palsy occur. Um, one of those is prenatal. And this will happen before the baby is born. And when the baby is born, you will already be able to tell um, that cerebral palsy is there. Um, so there's a look, you can see there's several things under this. One is a maternal infection. The most common one really is rubella. There are a couple others, but this is the big one. And this is the German measles. Um, we had this pretty much eradicated where we really weren't dealing with this anymore. But as we mentioned when we were talking about autism spectrum disorder, there's a lot of folks who are really anti-vaccinations for children today. One of the vaccinations that's really one of the common ones we give is for rubella. And when you're seeing people not take it, some of these diseases are coming back. Um, and this is really only a huge problem with the moms in that first three months of pregnancy. But the problem is sometimes you can be three months pregnant and not know yet. And so um, if you're planning on getting pregnant, it's always good to make sure that you personally go ahead and get a shot um, for rubella so that you wouldn't have to worry about being exposed at all. Um, fetal anoxia, this is, remember, um, lack of oxygen to the brain. And there are different ways in that might occur. The cord can wrap around the neck um, of the baby in utero. Mom could fall, and there could be some hemorrhaging that's going to cut off some oxygen to the brain. So there's a lot of things there that could do it. Um, the RH incompatibility we talked about with hearing, but remember that was the mom has blood that's negative. Um, dad has positive blood. Okay, baby number one is positive. And remember, there's no sharing of mom and baby's blood. They, they can be very different. As you see here, mom's negative, baby's positive. And um, baby will be birthed fine. But remember, when that placenta pulls away, some of the baby's blood goes back up into mom. She manufactures some factors that are going to go attack that positive piece there. And so with baby number two, who's positive, it's going to cross over and, and attack that baby. Um, two shots, that's all you need. Um, but you just need to know your blood type so that when you deliver, and if you deliver in a hospital, they're going to check for all this. If you deliver at home, there's a lot of people who do that. Um, we, get, we start to see some problems. Um, note some kind of metabolic disorder for the mom. These are things like um, gestational diabetes, um, something like that. Um, any kind of exposure to x-rays, would be a potential problem while she's pregnant. And usually doctors, um, dentists, are pretty good about asking, um, you know, is there any chance she might be pregnant before they do an x-ray? And if there is, be sure to tell them so that um, you wouldn't have the x-ray because that can cause some problems and it's tough. All right, perinatal is actually at the birth, um, during the birth process. And again, the biggest cause here is your babies that are preterm. Um, they're just really early. And again, the brain's not developed. Um, but there are occasional injuries at birth. You know, the biggest rule I hear from the doctors is don't drop the baby. And that does occasionally occur. 
um, something can go wrong there and any kind of cut off of oxygen to the brain with anoxia again usually that is a, a cord injury but um, it could be just a really 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 long birth the baby's kind of stuck in the birth canal um, believe it or not a really short one um, can actually cause some issues so there's just different problems there uh, always good to have a professional help you through that process um, Postnatally, um, this is a child who's born uh, very typical and they're fine for a while and there can be something that occurs up to about age five. Now, they have injuries after age five. They're just likely not to develop uh, cerebral palsy. They might have a traumatic brain injury, something like that, um, but they're not going to get cerebral palsy from it. It has to occur at least by that age of five. All right, so note a head injury uh, of some sort always amazes me um, how kids do manage just fine. Um, they fall a lot. They're top heavy and they fall. Um, this is the why we do put helmets on them when they're in a, you know, um, something like a bike or something. We try to protect their little heads and um, we put them in car seats to keep those heads straight. I mean, but I'm just telling you, I mean, I've kept my nieces and nephews and I remember one of them rumbled his head and screaming, and the other one holding a little wooden hammer, and I pretty much knew what happened. Um, you know, he'd gotten whacked, um, and turned out okay, but you know, you never know. Um, brain infections are usually those things like meningitis, encephalitis would be another one. Remember, meningitis, we do have an immunization for that, and we should get it. Um, toxic chemicals hopefully we lock all that stuff up and keep our kids from it but it's so fascinating from them you know they see that little windex that looks like kool-aid and they want to drink that or they'll drink drano and, and you know if you're drinking alcohol they think that looks cool um so you want to keep all that stuff away from your children as much as you can um anoxia would be a cut off of oxygen um febrile seizures you could you could have oxygen cut off um because you know you're not processing right there uh, underwater for whatever reason uh, really really high fevers uh, there's a lot of reasons that could actually occur um, so all those can can be times when you would pick it up all right so there's different types of cerebral palsy um, the most common type that you're going to see is called the spastic type and what you're going to have here are arms and legs that now it, it may be localized it may just be one arm and one leg or it might be both legs or no arms i mean we'll look at that in a sec but whatever limbs are affected um they're going to move in a fashion that is not under your control and so they just kind of make these aimless movements off to the side and you're, you're you're wanting to put it down and it just goes off and uh they can't control what is going on with their limbs all right, the athetoid type is another form of cerebral palsy that's actually quite common. And here what you're going to see um, is a little bit more of a, a gait um, that's, that's really unsteady. Um, they're, you know, when they're walking, the, the limbs are, are not so aimless, but they're still not completely under their control. Ataxic is going to be various movements that are... Um, more snake-like in nature. Uh, rigid's just what it sounds like. This is a lead pipe kind of stiffness that you're likely to see. And then there's mix. The kids have like a mixture. One limb does one thing. One limb does something else. Uh, but the main one you're going to see is that spastic type. All right. We use also for some fakes. Um, not everybody uses the type to classify. They oftentimes use the topography. Um, this is going to tell you which limb is affected. 
Monoplegia, mono means one. You're not going to see a lot of CP that comes in odd numbers. So one or three, like triplegia, you're not going to see that much. You're not going to see monoplegia much because the way the brain is set up is that it's hemispheres of the brain. And each hemisphere typically um, covers half of your body. And so you're generally going to see... Um, either half like on one side or the top half or the bottom half that's going to be affected. So you won't see that too much. Paraplegia is a term you probably have heard of and this is where you see the bottom limbs being affected. The, the legs are affected but the arms are still okay. Hemoplegia is when the body's divided literally down in the middle and so one arm and one leg will be affected and the other arm and leg are going to be fine. Um, triplegia, as I mentioned, is rare. This would be three limbs and um, might be two legs and an arm. Um, quadriplegia would be all four limbs. Now, there's levels of quadriplegia. So, you can have a high quadriplegia where it's like closer to the neck and the um, arms are pretty much um, useless. And you can have a lower quadriplegia where it's a little bit lower in the back where the um, they have at least some control over the upper torso and have limited use of their arms. Um, double hemoplegia is a little different from quadriplegia. Um, you have a person who has all four limbs affected, but usually the arms are worse than the legs. And in quadriplegia, it's usually the other way around. All right, so here we have a kind of a graph and um, our chart for you. And you can see that the affected limbs are in blue. Um, so monoplegia is on the left and that's just a person whose legs are fine and one arm is okay and one arm is not. And as I mentioned, that's, that's pretty rare. Um, the paraplegia, you can see the, just the limbs on the bottom. And so this person would be very strong on their upper body. Um, usually can then manipulate a wheelchair very easily if they need to be in a wheelchair. And they won't unless it's pretty severe. Um, and they tend to work the top body to stay pretty strong. Hemophilia, um, one side, and, and usually since the other side is fine, they're going to be able to ambulate okay. Um, they might need uh, a cane or crutches or something because that one limb, oh, it just depends on how severe it is. Um, if it's not that bad, they're going to be able to move. And quadriplegia, again, is all four limbs, um, legs worse than arms. And so there's some use of arms with that. All right, so levels um, are how severely um, the limbs are going to be damaged. Um, obviously, if they're mild, this is this the easiest scenario. Um, usually, they're able to move very well. Um, they're very independent. You know, they can take care of themselves. And you just got some fine precision that's that's impaired here. They they don't have total control over. Um, the limbs, but it's not going to be overly noticeable, and they're going to be able to move around on their own, um, do most school things. Moderate, we may need some help, and so here, um, usually we are going to see some ambulation issues. Um, they may need some training. Some of these folks are still able to walk on their own. Um, they may know, need a little bit of help there and how to take care of themselves. Um, the jaw, a lot of times we forget that the jaw is a, is a muscle, and so we have to be able to put our mouth into certain positions in order to speak. So we may start to see a little bit of speech impairment here. Um, possibly there's equipment that we need. Now, this could be that we need a brace on a leg. Um, it could be that, you know, depending on how badly this is in the moderate range, we may need 
um, a buildup on an, an ink pen to make it uh, easier for us to grip, things like that. Um, a more severe case is going to be where we are going to have much more difficulty and we're going to need other people for care. This person may not can um, bathe themselves, um, go to the toilet by themselves, feed themselves, dress themselves, um, probably won't be able to walk on their own and their speech may be very, very um, unclear. Um, so we probably are going to need a good bit of help here, possibly a wheelchair, possibly one of those augmentative devices.